Hi, this is Pastor Tim Crick, and you are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, a part of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us online at www.htelc.com. We worship on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m., where you are never too late and there is always room for one more. We hope you can join us sometime, and we hope you find the sermon you're about to listen to helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. Today's gospel comes from St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Does somebody else want to come up and preach this morning? Nope. If you're not sick of me saying this, you will be at some point. Three most important rules of reading scripture are context, context, context. When was it written? Who was it written to? Why was it written, right? We can't just pick it up and say, see, this is what it says, and now that is the rule that we need to follow for all times and all places in all other contexts. Setting makes a difference. And so, I've said this before, we've had the scripture come up before in the past. I have a hard time taking marital advice from scripture and applying it across all marriages, across all space and time, for all eternity. Because marriages in the day of Jesus were very different than why we get married today. I am assuming at some level, hopefully for all of you, you had a choice in who you got to marry. If you chose to get married. Let's even start there. If this is what you chose. Right? You growing up, you were in middle school, high school, depending on the age, college, and you're out with groups of people, and you're meeting somebody, and you're talking to somebody, and 
something feels funny inside your stomach and you think, maybe I'd like to get to know them better, right? And you ask them out, would you like to? And you go out on a date. Maybe you go out on two dates and at some point, maybe you say, you know what, they're a nice person, but this just isn't working and now I need to end that. Or maybe someone says that to you. We go through some heartbreak. We hopefully heal and then we go out and we do it again. And eventually at some point, right, you say, wow, this person, I want to be around them more and more. And I want to bind my life to them and I want to grow a family with them. If that's what you choose to do is to have kids, right? But you have this choice. And then eventually someone asks the other person to marry him. Traditionally, the man asks the woman, but that's not always the case anymore, right? Because things are changing. But you had a choice in it. In the day and age of Jesus, you didn't really have a choice. Now, do you love them? Do you marry for love? People did not marry for love in the day and age of Jesus. That didn't really factor into it. If love grew from the relationship, great. But that is not the reason for getting married. The reason for getting married was to secure your social place in life, for a woman to secure her future, right? For as a couple, whatever work you did as a trade, so you had somebody to follow in your footsteps to carry that on and to take care of you when you were older. Love, choice, had very little to do with it. Does that make sense? It just was. You had to do this if you were going to survive. Marriages are very different. So to hold, see, this is what the Bible says about marriage when that's not the way we have marriage, right? So if you want a biblical view of marriage, you've lost your choice for the most part. How many people want that biblical view of marriage anymore? Does that make sense? It's really part of the, a big part of the reason why it's important that I believe churches become Reconciling in Christ, because we understand there's differences among relationships and marriages and why we do it. So back then, it was about sustainability of your life, about extending your family, someone to take care of you when you're older. Where did all of the power reside, within the male or the female? With the male. So here come the Pharisees with this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? If a man divorced his wife, what kind of life was he destining? Destining? Destined. What kind of life was his wife destined to? How's that? Horrible, I thought I heard somebody say. It's not like she can go out and find a job. It's not like she had these skills, skills right, to be self-sustainable. So if a man were to divorce his wife, and the man has all that power... They are dooming, he is dooming his wife to a life of potentially death. And the Pharisees are asking, is it lawful for us to do it? And Jesus says, well, Moses gave you the permission, but, which is always very mindful of Jesus, right? Remember I say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Now it seems like Jesus gets very harsh on marriage. You really much can't get married, or can't get divorced. But why is Jesus now coming down so hard 
where it seems like we were able to do something before, but now we're not able to. Seems like generally before Jesus loosens things up a little bit, right? Isn't so strict and is acting out of love and is acting out of it's not just for the sake of the rule, but it's for the bigger picture that is going on. And so there are many scholars who would think, as I was doing some work on this this week, that really that's what Jesus is doing. When he is being so strict about you can't get divorced, he is actually acting in the best interest of the woman in that situation. Because for a man to divorce his wife, any number of reasons it could occur. From very strict or more conservative, is what they said, a serious moral um, mistake such as uh, having an affair or sleeping with somebody else or right being unfaithful to your husband. Serious moral mistake. All the way to the other end of the spectrum, the wife burns her husband's meal. And now that gives the husband permission to divorce. Not quite fair balanced, is it? <laughs> Can you imagine the state that some women must have lived in if that was the case that they were living in? Where the men had all this power? So what does Jesus even say at the end? At the end, can you imagine what this might have been where Jesus even says, if the woman decides to divorce the man, at some level he gives the woman some power in this. But women aren't supposed to have power. Women aren't supposed to. So there's a protection of and some empowering going on as well. Does that make sense? Do you see how radical Jesus is? How offensive he can be to people because he is disrupting the status quo of what was going on. You think you have life figured out and everybody is in this class, you're in this place, and this is your strata, and this is where you belong, and this is who you can interact with, and this is who you can't interact with, and this is who can speak, and this is who can't speak. And Jesus said, so what in the world do you think you are doing? And so... Again, with context, I think the second part of the scripture lends itself to interpreting that first part with Jesus protecting those who might be the most vulnerable in that relationship, right? Because then Jesus is saying, uh, all these kids are coming toward him. And the disciples want to say what? Get out of here. Because as we talked about again a couple weeks ago, where were kids in the whole stratus, status symbol of life? Were they up here or were they down here? were way down low, weren't they? Very little value. They achieved their value when they became older, when they can contribute, when they could take their place within the family, when they could be married off, when they could. But up until that point, it was a dangerous world to be a kid in. We talked about just how often, frequently, kids passed away as they are growing up, right? People didn't live to be as old as we are now, lifespan was much shorter. Childbirth was much more dangerous. All of those things. So when Jesus is saying, let the little kids come to me, or you need to be as a little child to receive the kingdom of God, he's not talking about how do we be as simple, as innocent as possible. That is our interpretation. 
putting it into that context. Does that make sense? We're now taking our context and putting it back in. But rather, Jesus isn't saying being as innocent or as simple or as pure. Jesus is saying, identify with those who are the least of these. Identify with those who are the most vulnerable. You need to be as one of the most vulnerable to inherit the kingdom of God. And it is to the most vulnerable that inherit the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So if you have this, this is where you belong, this is where I belong, if that's the way you operate, you got to get out of it. Nobody operates in the, in the world in this way, do they today? You don't think less of anybody else, do you? You don't think yourself is better than anybody else, do you? Of course we do. Of course we do. Because as we said before, at the end, we're really insecure people. We look and we judge and we compare and we say, ooh, I need to be better than them and so I lift myself up or I push somebody down. Because if somebody's down here, that means I'm up here, which means I'm better. Right? Now I can judge myself based on where I am compared to other people. And Jesus is saying no to that way of life. No one is better than you and you are better than no one. No one is better than me. I am better than no one. It's a great story. I'm sorry I'm going to get choked up here because it was my, my younger brother shared it at my older brother Doug's funeral. It's not about my brother. It's about either of them. But it had to do with Otto von Habsburg of the Austrian Empire. Right now I'm getting, why is he getting choked up over this? It's more just because of the setting in which I heard it. But he died in 2011, right? This very powerful man died in 2011. He has a funeral, and this is the way the funeral procession worked for him. Huge parade, right? Very powerful man in the midst of Europe. Streets are lined with people. They have the coffin, people carrying it in. It has flags draped over it. You know, and they have the pallbearers, and they carry it in. They come to the front of the church doors, and they knock on the doors three times, right? And you can... You can, you can actually watch this on YouTube if you Google it. And the priest on the other side of the doors say, who is it? And the people that are presenting the body of Otto von Habsburg respond with a list of titles. It is Otto of Austria, former crown prince of Austria-Hungary, prince royal of Hungary and Bohemia, of Dalmatia, Croatia, Slavonia, Galatia, Lodomira, and Ilya, Grand Duke of Tuscany and Krakow. Goes on and on and on. And the response on the other side is, we do not know him. Who is it? Dr. Otto van Habsburg, with a number of his civic achievements, notably as president of the Pan-European Union and a member of the European Parliament, and goes on and on and on. So the response comes back. We do not know him. Who is it? Otto. A mortal and sinful human being. 
response comes back, you may enter. Luther has a way of putting it this way. We are all just beggars at the foot of the cross. The whole story of scripture is trying to understand who am I? Who is God? What is this calling that's placed on my life? What does it mean for God's love to be washed over me? To then live out this calling in my life, not to prove myself to do these things so then I am better, but instead because I am better than no one and no one is better than me, I see the way the world works and it is not working that way. And therefore, I'm part of something bigger than myself that is encompassed by love, specifically the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ that compels me to go forward, that compels me when I look at everyone. I don't just see someone who's different from me. see someone who's the same as me. I see a mortal, a sinful human being that is loved by God unconditionally. Amen. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.